Hi and welcome to the Homeopathy Health Show. I'm Atik Ahmad Bhatti, a fourth generation homeopath with over 25 years of professional experience and practice in this field of healing. The Homeopathy Health Show is the online voice of homeopathy around the world, promoting and raising awareness of this truly unique system of healing, which is suitable for all ages, young and old. Every week I invite guests from the world of homeopathy to come and share their experiences, their work, offer insights and essentially talk all things homeopathy. Why not visit www.liketreatslike.co.uk and click on the radio and podcast button to listen to the latest episodes. So let's begin today's show here on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio. Hi and welcome to another episode of the Homeopathy Health Show here on UK Health Radio. Now, I'm really, really thrilled to welcome my guest on today's show, Ian Watson, who is a well-known educator, author and facilitator and has worked in the field of well-being and holistic healing and inner transformation since 1988. He has written several books, published articles and has, of course, travelled extensively, giving seminars, courses and retreats around the world. And I must say, he has helped thousands of people as far as mental health, as far as emotional health. And it's going to be a real pleasure talking to him on today's show. Ian, it's uh, it's really nice to have you on the show, a delight, and it's been a long time coming too. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. You know, I must say right at the start, there's a picture of you at ianwatsonseminars.com where when I first laid eyes on it, it's an image of you on the, on the page. Uh, you look like Clint Eastwood with, uh, you know, and and I thought we should call today's podcast a fistful of healing. <laughs> what do you think? I think that's an interesting uh, idea. It's funny. I've actually been uh, watching those movies with my son recently. I thought I thought it's time that he got a proper education. So, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? I hundred percent agree with you. All this green screen stuff. Okay, yeah, we love it. But you know, those spaghetti westerns and and those movies were real grit, weren't they? They were hard work to produce and to make. And you know the love and passion that went into them. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. And uh, they were also relatively low budget. I was recently in Spain, and we were staying quite close to an area where they filmed some of the spaghetti westerns. So it was kind of in our consciousness as well. It, apparently it was cheaper to do it in Spain than anywhere else they could find. <laughs> I, I love those movies. You know, I I we I used to watch them in, of course, in the uh, late 70s and 80s. Uh, we used to watch them as a family because they used to be on repeats. And uh, they they were really good because there's a lot of substance in those movies and those long pauses which perhaps the new generation may certainly laugh at but those pauses said a thousand words of what someone was thinking you know i think that's right and i think that's why they're they're kind of powerful and they stay with you because um a lot a lot happens in those gaps where you maybe just it's close-up of somebody's face or just the um the music's kind of signaling that something's coming but you don't know what it is yet you know they're using these kind of cues that we respond to and uh it's i think it's uh to me it it points to the fact that we're responding in you know on different levels all the time 
And even though this, you know, these films are like, they were from the 60s, I think it was. Mm. You'd think they'd be well out of date right now, but actually they still speak to us. My son really enjoyed watching them with me. I think it's like um, there's a resurgence, isn't it, in 80s music and 80s culture, because, I mean, I love the 80s, you know, that's the real time when I became a teenager growing up and and I just loved it. And the music was, uh, without offending anyone, it was it was very clean, you know. Uh, it was very uh, emotive. It, it had sort of substance. It was tangible. You could feel some of those emotions that we perhaps are going through now, and you can relay it back to a song. And and uh, you know those those westerns certainly were on that same level because yeah. you know they're they're so applicable. I, I I don't know how we got onto that subject, but uh, hey, that's quite interesting. Hey, now Ian, um, before we go into homeopathy and transformational education, I must say. When we spoke a few months back, you said something which really stayed with me. And and I just wanted to talk about that because words matter. And sometimes people say certain things which are so transformational, literally, um, and and so profound. And we were having this conversation. I don't know if you remember it, but it was an introduction. And and, and I saying, you know, you've got to come on the podcast. And you said, yeah, great. You know, we'll... But you said something about answering messages and emails and stuff, and you and you 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 and you quoted at the end. You said, uh, "I chose not to." There's, I get a barrage of emails and and stuff, but uh, I thought I'd switch off for a while, or words to that effect, because I can. Now, you said it, so you, you know you might think, "Okay, yeah, I was just an expression," but that left a really a powerful imprint because I was thinking about that and, and I'm a, I love to ponder and I rough, love to reflect, you know, you know, those were really important words because you can. And nowadays it's so difficult because everybody is so tied up in living their lives at an extremely fast pace. I'm not saying everybody, but everybody I've met, certainly, you know, in the West, a large proportion of people are just, on switched on all the time early morning you get to work and it's a long commute and it's work 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 and it's work in the evenings as well even a holiday is almost stressful because of the work involved in planning a holiday what led you to that because you can and because it's so difficult isn't it to to switch off what an interesting question um i think that the the outward activity the busyness that you see and that you speak about to me is is just a reflection of the busyness that's happening internally that we've we've become accustomed to a level of busyness in our mind which we've we now think is normal and actually it's anything but normal and it's you know you could say it's a habit that we've acquired and yeah we can get used to it but it's not what we were designed for and in my experience, um, once you kind of have eyes for it, once you once you start to get a sense of how busy or not your mind is, you will naturally start to orient away from that habitual, non-stop, always-on, busy mode because you'll start to realize that actually that's what creates the feeling of stress. That's what creates the experience of being stressed. People think it's because they've got a lot of things to do in the world. You know, I've got a big to-do list or... I've got a deadline to meet, and that's what's stressing me. No, it isn't. It's your thoughts about it that are stressing you. <laughs> it's the only thing that can actually stress us. You can have the same deadline and be relaxed around it. 
It's all about, you know, our relationship to those things, which is created in our own mind. That's what determines. So when I say, you know, I I can, I don't have to, if someone messages me, it doesn't mean I have to reply straight away. Well, to me, that's kind of stating the obvious. Why would we have to reply straight away unless we have a thought that says we must or that says that we should? Yeah, Mm, absolutely. If, if we don't, kind of believe in that, if we don't buy into that idea, then we're free to respond or not, <laughs> as the okay. case may be. And sometimes I'll respond quickly, but other times I I, uh, I reserve the right to just sit with something for a while or even ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about I hope you haven't ignored mine. <laughs> well, apparently not, because we're here. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, that's that's actually really, really important that you reserve the right to think about messages for me, for example, if I go out for a walk from, from where I live, which I love to do, there was a time when I would always take my mobile with me just in case, you know. And then at a certain point, I was like, why Why do I need to take my mobile with me? I'd actually rather not have my mobile with me. So I just developed a habit of living at home most of the time now. And um, for me, it, you know, it doesn't matter to me that someone can't get a hold of me for a couple of hours. I I, I feel more relaxed around that. And I think the people that know me well enough, they come to accept that after a while. Ian may or may not respond quickly. <laughs> you know, we, we set the example, basically. And it's easy to point the finger and say, well, ah, yeah, but other people are expecting and demanding this. Well, yeah, but they're also reflecting the example that, that we're setting. So, and this is something that I learned, you know, I had to learn this as a homeopathic practitioner, which I'm sure you're aware of, we have to learn how to set appropriate boundaries. And, and it's not only for our own health and well-being so that we actually get a time off, you know, with our family or whatever, but it's also because that's how we can model a healthier way of being. You know, mm. if someone's coming to me and they're really busy and, and stressed out, I don't want to model to them what a busy and stressed out practitioner I am. Yeah. But that's not helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. No, you're, you're so right. And it's almost, I mean, just going back to the, the mobiles, like you've said, the, the fact that you can leave it at home um, and the fact that nowadays it's almost like we've had this this uh, this fear, isn't it, attached to that device, that if you have actually left it at home by mistake, let's say, and there's, oh, where's my mobile, where's my mobile? And it's like you're lost without it. Hey, you know, we're, I'm, I'm from the 70s, right, it's 80s. I remember those dial-up phones and those were left at home. And uh, life was was great. I mean, the emergencies were the same emergencies that take place today. And nothing actually has changed because there's nothing you can do anyway. I mean, there's nothing that can be done so quickly unless uh, it, it's it's critical to survival. And even then, you don't need your mobile for it. You need your wits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Which, which actually leads me on uh, to your journey to homeopathy. Um, you 15 years of practice, you know, and that's amazing. And that included founding the Lakeland College as well. But I wanted to ask you with, with regards to homeopathy, what uh, what led you to homeopathy? What was that um, that spark as such? Um, I was following an interest which really came to life um, in my teens. I got interested in herbal medicine, plants and trees and um Somehow I just came across the the idea that, you know, a lot of things that we're just walking past when we, you're going out on a walk in the woods, actually they're medicines. And that, that was just a fascinating idea to me. 
and and I came across the bark flower essences, the the remedies developed by Dr. Edward Barch. I bought a set of those, and I was playing with them, if you like, you know, experimenting with them on myself and my um, family and friends. And then I came across an, like an A to Z book of alternative therapies, still as a, a teenager. And I remember just devouring this book and I landed on homeopathy, which seemed to me like the one of the most interesting of all the different um, topics that were in there. And I just started reading about homeopathy, buying books, um, accumulating knowledge. I was gifted a, an old remedy kit by somebody who saw that I was interested in it. So I started using these remedies. And one thing just led to another. You know, I was literally just following something that caught my interest. And then some years later, I discovered that there was a, a training college. You know, you could still train in this thing, <laughs> which I'd assumed had kind of died out about 100 years ago, you know, from the books that I was reading. They were all pretty old. Mm. I had no idea. And this is pre-internet, of course, so it's not so easy to come across these things. Um, but by a, a series of serendipitous encounters, I discovered there was a, a training school in London. So that was it. I was moving to London. And uh, I began studying uh, properly, as it were, training to be a practitioner. But I'd already been learning and using homeopathy for about five years on my own at that point. It's very interesting what you said about, you know, being at a young age and and, and walking through and seeing plants and, and fauna and, and trees and, uh, and, and just sort of um, thinking, I think, reflecting and pondering, isn't it? It's pondering, actually, more, more so that there's there is healing in in nearly everything natural and uh, and I love that about you because I, I wish more people would think about that we go in we go for a walk in the park and it's a walk in the park but you know when you stand next to a tree and you think of how many years it's taken to mature and develop and to think about what properties what possibly what properties or healing properties uh, the leaves or the, the the bark of that tree may have that's another level because it actually is also to do with gratitude, right? If you look at it very on a very deep level, that the things are there and, and we just have to take time to observe them and, and to be able to accept them and, 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 and think about them. Yeah, that, that was it. And, and for me, it was like discovering that there's a, it's like a walking encyclopedia. You know, you're literally walking through an encyclopedia all the time, but that knowledge is kind of hidden. You know, most people, you're just walking along and that's a nice tree or, you know, that's a pretty flower or look at those berries. I wonder if you can eat them or maybe they're poisonous. You might just have that superficial appreciation. But when you start to learn about them a little bit as in either as herbs or as, as medicines uh, through homeopathy, that appreciation de just deepens multi multiple fold. You know, I, when I started to understand what some of these medicines were capable of and the history behind them and how amazing they are as healing agents then you, you just go through life with a different set of eyes really you know I mean I probably bore people sometimes when I'm out on a walk because I'm always stopping and <laughs> my, my son was berating me the other day because I, I was picking some berries and chewing on them he's like shouldn't you look it up before you chew on it <laughs> <laughs> That's called a real-time proving, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty sure it was juniper. It was harmless, which the taste confirmed. So, <laughs> yeah. They say, uh, where, uh, you know, pictures can paint a thousand words. And, and that picture in itself, I, I tell you where I'm thinking. I'm thinking about you eating those berries, let's say. And uh, just recently, I was talking to Ian White from the, um, a, a friend of yours, actually, because he was talking about you. Yes. He said you stayed with him in Australia. 
That's right. Yeah. Um, Ian, Ian, for the listeners, I'm talking about Ian White from the the founder of the Australian Bushflower Essences. And uh, by the way, he says hi as well. <laughs> so there's Jock, Kadei, Kathiasa, and everybody else I speak to seems to say, oh, give my regards to Ian. So from everybody out there who knows you, Ian. You know? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was I had a picture of, uh, Ian sent me a picture, and he's got this um, a, a flower which is found in the bush. And the way he's holding it is like he would hold a child. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a promotional image. It was genuinely Ian looking at that flower. And you can just imagine the thought process that one is looking at the beauty and then he's thinking, I wonder what properties are in there. You know, I wonder what this is going to do for somebody. Yeah. And that line of thought is so needed. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that image that you, you portray there is, it's to me, it speaks of the reverence for the gifts of nature, which is perhaps something that we've, you know, to some extent we've lost touch with in in recent times in the West, but which has always been the attitude of uh, indigenous peoples throughout, you know, history, throughout time immemorial. There's always been that respect and reverence for plants and and substances and other creatures. But there's also been a recognition that, that if we're, if we can be humble enough to not assume that we already know, you know, that we we know, and if we don't know, it's our, you know, our job to figure it out. If we can actually have a different relationship where we become the student, then those plants can become our teachers. They can actually inform us and in different ways. Like in the, you know, Edward Barch found this with the flower essences. That was something that was very intriguing to me reading his life story was that he he was just following this kind of inner instinct to go out in nature and he would find himself in a particular mood or psychological state and he would feel drawn towards a particular flower. And, and when he was in touch with the, the right flower, so to speak, he would, he would find that it had a resonance for the feeling state that he was in. And that became the indication for its use. And then Hahnemann took that to another level with his introduction of provings, you know, the homeopathic idea of proving where we can actually test any substance on healthy human volunteers and the substance itself reveals itself to us and through us and that you know that knowledge was there it was kind of locked in and we have to participate we have to be kind of open and receptive in a in a way such that we can um i want to use the word extract that knowledge but we can bring it into consciousness would be a better way of saying it um, but the knowledge is it, it's in the substance itself it's in the plant it's in the seed it's in the berry it's that in, that life force intelligence is actually built into the entire natural world. And there is a way that we can learn to read that language. And, and then, you know, there is that reciprocal relationship. These things, even the things that ordinarily are considered poisons, they become um, medicinal agents of, of terrific healing power. Why, Ian, why is it that we find ourselves in a situation now that we can't i can't even use the word we take it for granted you know it's it's almost um, overlooked this beauty that we're talking about this the the healing properties of course there are a few people doing this and a few i mean probably thousands of course you know in the grand scheme of things with eight and a half billion people on the planet or, or more but um why is it that we seem to almost think that we know 
everything when we actually haven't got a clue to be perfectly honest with you and i say that with the greatest humility what do we really know no it's it's i think it's true and it's becoming evident you know by the day isn't it that that's the case and i i would i think history will look back on this period as which will probably be a relatively short period of maybe a few centuries or so mm. and we, we'll look back and think what what were we thinking you know mm. <laughs> this idea of you know like a, a kind of hierarchy within nature with you know the rocks and the at the bottom and then the, the trees and then the animals and then humans sitting at the top of this notional pyramid which we ourselves have have, have made up um with the idea that and not only are we at the top but we are somehow separate from the rest so i think that to me that's part of it um there is this idea which which kind of crept into science of of there being an objective reality from which we are separate and we can experiment upon it and we can do things we can manipulate it around and so on but we you know we're kind of neutral observers mm. and of course that's you know long since been disproven in, in, even by physics you know go back 100 years what did the physicists discover when you get close enough when you look close enough and you go beyond the purely visible material level into what they call the quantum level what you discover is that what you look at is affected by who's looking <laughs> mm. right we are actually consciously we are participating in the the creation of life itself and we can't not we can't not participate in it we're never separate from it at all it's just an illusion as einstein famously said it's a, a an illusion albeit a very persistent one absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yes i think that's you know to me that's really what we're up against is that the illusion of separation between us and everything else and as that illusion starts to fall away and we start to see more accurately then we regain our what i would call our right relationship to to all things with regards to um transformational education uh with what you've just said you've you've said something very uh wonderful on on the website which is ian watson seminars and and i quote i've long considered that the key ingredient in any self healing process is a transformation of consciousness and my life's passion and greatest joy is to work as a facilitator of self healing and inner transformation but you also mentioned something which really uh you know caught my eye which was um simple and powerful ways and you know when where you say simple i mean that's actually the beauty of everything that we've we're talking about now the simplicity of it and healing doesn't have to be going to the most expensive healer having the most incredible equipment i mean i'm sure you know stories where people have ended up um trying to save their lives on on a wooden table in a village and somebody has healed them and and all the thousands of hundreds of thousands of pounds that could have been spent or, or should i say could have been maybe misused or wasted almost on, on something without um a, a result in healing so it's the beauty is actually in simplicity and that's more true now than it ever has been hasn't it this transformation that you talk about and uh, the simplicity and everything else that we've just been talking about as far as nature and and trying to be at one with nature rather than try to separate ourselves as something very very special indeed hmm. yeah that's it and it's and it's not that we even need to try to be at one we are already at one hmm. 
it's just that we are, we suffer from the illusion sometimes that we're not. And so when I talk about transformation, what's really happening is that we we're coming into alignment with what's already true. So we're moving away from what was false. We got caught in something that was actually un, unreal and untrue, and that's what creates suffering and stress and distress. When we come back into alignment with what's actually true, we, we come back into relationship with ourself, a proper relationship with ourself, and then we're naturally in, rela- in proper relationship with everything else. And then we have the experience of being what the Taoists call in the flow of life. When, when you're in the flow of life, it, to me, it simply means that you're, you're in alignment with your own true nature. And then you're automatically in alignment with, with nature itself, because we're part of that. There isn't actually any difference between our nature and what we call nature, you know, when we speak about it in an external sense. And so to me, that's, that's what I'm um, referencing when I'm talking about transformation. It's, it's an incremental realization, ever-deepening realization of the truth of who we are. And that has to obviously include the spiritual dimension, not just the physical, material, and biological dimension. So it's recognizing that there is an intangible, invisible element to this life experience, which is actually where the magic happens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How how important is uh, meditation and other techniques? I mean, what uh, what are you actually when when you when you have all these seminars around the world and 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 you're talking to people about um, being at one and being at peace and you know the healing the the, the process of healing is, is certainly from within. What are the the the, the areas that you're specifically focusing upon? Well. With just with regard to techniques, first of all, I I did train after I when I started to get interested in the uh, psychological and emotional healing, particularly uh, as a kind of specialist focus, which was this was a long way into my homeopathy practice. I started to see that there were people for whom homeopathy helped them up to a certain point, but then it felt like something else was needed as well. And it was usually because people were struggling with something internally, you know, something they were up against something in their life that they were struggling with. And so that set me on a path of learning a whole bunch of different tools and techniques, which were to help my own struggles, as well as the people that I was working with, because I started to realize we're in the same boat. (laughs) You know, if a, Mm. a person comes to me because they're feeling, I don't know, stressed at work or stressed out because of the ch- what their children are up to or something like this, I could very quickly look at my own life and think, me too. Mm. You know, I, I could very much relate. So what I discovered in about the next 10 years or so was that you can learn good techniques and they can help a person to um, get over some issue or some trauma. They can help a person to break through to a new level of understanding on occasion. But what I found was that they were helpful except when they weren't. Hmm. right there were always people for whom it seemed it didn't matter how hard they worked how many different techniques they practiced they still had this sense of like pushing a big rock up a hill you know it was hard work it was taking a lot of effort and they didn't really feel like they were making that much progress and yet there were other people 
we would sit down and just have a kind of preliminary chat. And that person would say, oh, my God, Ian, what did you just say? That's amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm scratching my head wondering what I just said, because it didn't seem like anything significant to me. And I didn't understand that at the time, but I came to understand subsequently that what was really happening there was a shift in level of consciousness. And that actually that's that's healing in and of itself. When a person has a shift in their level of consciousness, suddenly everything's the same, but they're experiencing it in a different way. Hmm. Nothing outside them has needed to change, and yet they have a different feeling response to all those things that are in their life. And that's really, to me, the essence of of what transformation is is all about, is where a person has that shift. So for me, then, the work became a lot simpler, Using going back to that simplicity uh, reference. I realized that the technique isn't the crucial issue, and, and nor is how diligent the person is at applying the technique or anything like that. The, the, the crucial issue is, do they have an insight or not? Do they actually have their own realization? If they do, then the shift's going to happen. If they don't, it doesn't matter how much, how hard they work, how yeah. hard they work. <laughs> <laughs> that is the currency of value, is when a person has that shift in understanding. So, so that changed the, the footing, if you like, uh, the foundation of my work substantially, because then it all be, it became about rather than what's the best technique for the job, it became, well, how do I best create the conditions so that this person is more likely to have their own realization? And that must be so rewarding because, again, I, I make reference to um, the seminars that you do around the world um, and you're teaching groups of people, talking to them sharing these ideas and, and methods and to see that happening must be so uh, humbling, I suppose is, is, is the best word, you know, to, to, because you're yes. making such a big difference to, to people's lives. Well, it's humbling, but it's also exciting and it's thrilling. Mm. And um, because what I came to see is that that's the only change that's really sustainable for people is when a person has a realization for themselves, that, that shifts their level of understanding. It's completely different order of change than when someone's basically following advice, mm. as an example. You know, if you tell someone, you should do this, it's good for you, they might go along with it for a little while, but chances are that sooner or later, they're, they're going to lose interest. You know, it's not going to do it for them. So their the internal resistance is going to kick in at some point. And that was always part of what I was up against before when I was giving techniques and advice and so on. Sooner or later, as a practitioner, you run up against the idea of patient non-compliance, <laughs> like yeah. right? which is a, is a big problem in medical circles. Generally, mm-hmm. doctors have conferences about this regularly. How do we get our patients to actually take the stuff that we've spent all this time and money prescribing for them. That's like a reference out of the Terminator, isn't it? You must comply. (laughs) Exactly. And what's what's been missed there is is that actually when a person has their own realization, what they realize, it comes to them from their own wisdom, from their own inner wisdom. And when something comes to us from our own internal resource, there's no question of us acting on it or not acting on it. We follow that because it feels like the right thing to us. Nobody's pressuring us. Yeah, Nobody's telling us you must do this or bad things are going to happen. It, it comes with a feeling of upliftment and possibility, and it, it automatically orients you in, in a healthier direction. So that's what I started to see is that 
you know, Hahnemann, um, Hahnemann's ideal of cure to me is, is, is a very beautiful statement that he came up with. The idea that um, a cure should be rapid, gentle, and permanent. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. As an ideal, isn't that a wonderful thing to aim for? Well, I started to see that that's, that's actually available on a psychological and emotional level to a degree that most people have, have got no clue about. Why? Why can I say that with confidence? Because if you think about it, all that's needed is a shift in consciousness. And you'll see a person go from being completely stressed or distressed or really struggling with something. And in an instant, they can find a freedom from that struggle. So it satisfies Hahnemann's criteria beautifully. Mm. It's rapid, it's gentle, and it's permanent. It's sustainable because once a person's reached a new level of understanding, it doesn't make sense to them to go back to where they were before. Because a lot of people these days, they've lost hope. You know, they've actually got into a, a state of mind, the, you know, the idea that actually I'm incurable. I'm just going to have to live with this. Mm. You know, uh, the best I can do is find a coping strategy. Um, a lot of people um, f- believe that that's true, and therefore that becomes their experience. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So when a little chink appears and that person, and this is often, this marks the transition point for a lot of people when they move away from what I would call orthodox, you know, Western medicine, and when they start to explore alternatives, that says to me their consciousness is already shifting. They're opening to a new possibility. And it, to me, it's a, it's a remarkable thing that someone can go to, they can go to the best doctors in the world. They can pay thousands of pounds and then they do, you know, people spend literally tens of thousands only to be told there's nothing we can do. Mm. Now that person can go, they can literally walk down the street and they can enter the office of a homeopath like yourself or a, another holistic practitioner who has a, just because the fact that they have a different framework First and foremost, it's not so much that they're doing anything different. They have a different understanding about health and disease. Mm -hmm. So when a person enters that space, other possibilities exist here. (laughs) Yeah. And that's powerful. Suddenly that person has, they're facing the prospect that, oh, no, you you could get better. I've treated lots of people like this. Yeah, homeopathy has been helping this for 200 years. You know, we're, we're operating within a certain paradigm. Okay. Yeah, and that mm. that paradigm represents a set of beliefs and ideas and attitudes and also possibilities. And what Hahnemann did over 200 years ago, he introduced an entirely new paradigm for health and healing. And that's why it's, homeopathy is so powerful. You know, it's founded on something that is it, full of possibilities that simply don't exist in the old paradigm. <laughs> mm. And... Um, I went on to study the work of Sydney Banks um, starting in 2011. Sydney Banks introduced a new paradigm for mental health, which it, to me, it has, it has similar implications to the, the paradigm that Hahnemann introduced, but specifically in the field of psychological and emotional health. Right. And, and again, it's, it's continuing to just grow and spread exponentially because just like the example you gave there, when people hear it, they recognize the truth of it. You know, when you said to that person, hmm. you know, I, from, what, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's fungal to me. Something in him says, yes, that makes hmm. sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that inner wisdom that I was speaking of earlier. And whenever we 
share something or introduce the person to something that touches it activates their own is inner wisdom healing's already happening at that point mm. long before you get around to working out what remedy might be helpful there's already a healing process has begun because that when that person hears that and something in them goes oh yeah that makes more sense than all this other stuff that i've been told now he's got hope now he's seeing a possibility and also he's feeling validated you know what what he'd already come to through his own experience mm. suddenly it's been it's actually starting to get validated rather than people often get told oh no it can't be that you know yeah <laughs> and the, the hidden message there is don't listen to your own wisdom you know listen to me <laughs> <laughs> and what we you know as holistic practitioners i feel what we're really doing is the opposite to that we say yeah do listen to your own wisdom you know in fact share it with me <laughs> mm. absolutely yeah, let's let's hear what it has to say you mentioned uh, Sydney Banks, and I say in your bio, you've spoken about Sydney Banks and the three principles and mental health. So what is that? Uh, what are those principles? Um, what happened to Sydney Banks was um, he was just going through life like a regular guy and had described himself as an insecure person for most of his life. And then he just had a series of profound insights where he came to realize where that insecurity was actually coming from. And really what he discovered was it wasn't coming from his past, which he'd assumed before, wasn't coming from his upbringing, which had been difficult. And, and in fact, what he saw was that it was being created by what he called these principles of mind, consciousness, and thought. And that's kind of a shorthand way or that he used to talk about how all of our emotional experience actually gets created inside of us, which is contrary to how it looks in our experience. Hmm. Because how it, how it looks in our experience is that we can wake up and we feel fine and we draw the curtains and we see that it's raining and now we feel miserable, right? So we attribute the feeling of misery to the weather in that moment. It's like, oh, you know, I'm mm. down because of the weather. Or we're feeling fine and we get a phone call and somebody spills their bad news on us. And by the time we put the phone down, we're feeling out of sorts. So now we blame the other person for ruining our day. Mm. Or, or we open up the mail and we've got a, a bank statement with a lot of red ink on it. And now we feel anxious and insecure. And it looks like that's, that feeling is being created by this external thing, whether it's the other person, whether it's the weather, it's my life circumstance and so on and so on. So what Sid Banks realized was that that's actually an illusion. It's an illusion that any of those things have the power to make us feel any particular way. Mm. And in fact, all of our feelings are being created internally by through what he called the power of thought. Now, when, when someone realizes that insightfully, they have to realize it through their own insight, not just as an intellectual idea, but you literally have to see it. You have to see it for yourself. Seeing that actually puts you in a different state of consciousness. It changes your relationship to all those things. And what you start to find is that, oh, I can feel fine on rainy days as well as sunny days. <laughs> Who knew? I can open the mail and yeah, I could get anxious, but I don't have to. It, it what, what seemed to look like a requirement before starts to look optional. Mm. Because you, what you start to see is that whatever feeling state you're creating, it's being created within you via thought. Once you see that you have some choice around that, People tend to make healthier choices once they see that they can. So, for example, if you look at someone who's suffering a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, and you ask them, what are they worried about? 
most people will talk about things that are not actually happening. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, I've got this test coming up next month. So the person will believe in their mind it looks like the test is the source of anxiety. Well, it can't be because they're not sitting the test for another month. Right? Mm. The, the only thing that could be creating anxiety in this moment is my thoughts about the test, which means it's self-created. I'm actually creating that stress within myself, not deliberately, but Sid Banks emphasized this over and over again. He said it's innocent. It's what he called the innocent misuse of the gift of thought. We innocently misuse it against ourselves when we don't understand it. As we start to understand it more and more, we tend to stop doing that, right? Once you, once you realize I've got this headache because I've been whacking myself over the head. <laughs> once you realize that, guess what? You stop doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, that's very fast. It's fascinating. It's very deep as well. And uh, what is the way that people can, I mean, do they have to go through several experiences to be able to think like that, right? To be able to shift that, uh, shift that thought process to something which is more receptive and open rather than fear and, and, and panic? Well, the funny thing is, it's a great question, actually. The, the, the interesting thing is to discover that actually, we're already doing that in certain areas of life, we're already having those shifts in understanding, right? We've all had the experience of going through some time that was really is a big struggle, it was really difficult. And then at a certain point, we got over ourselves, you know, mm. Suddenly we just wake woke up one day and said, you know, what? I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm not going to give it any more thought energy, because it's not helping. Yeah. Mm. So we're doing that in little ways all the time. Or, you know, we, we chase our tail going around, you know, where's my keys? Where's my keys? I can't find them. They say, oh, you know what? I just won't think about it now. I'll, I'll deal with that later. Now, that's just an intuitive recognition of how the mind works. When we say I'll deal with it later, all we're saying is I'm going to stop thinking about it using my intellect. When we stop thinking about something that we think is a problem, what Sid Banks realized is, in that moment, we open ourselves to what he called universal mind, universal intelligence. Mm. And when we, whenever we do that, basically, when our mind relaxes, it seems to open to a bigger field of possibility. Guess what happens? Something comes to us, right? That's why we say, let me sleep on it. We wake up in the morning, and go, oh, I know what to do. Mm. Yeah. Previously, we had so many options, we couldn't decide. Suddenly, we just wake up and it's clear. It comes to us. So it's just... All it is, it's a learning process where we we just start to get um, a little bit more conscious of how the mind works. But actually, it's always been working that way. <laughs> it's what it's what we're actually doing to stop it working like the way it should be, right? That's it. Exactly. Mm. You start to have eyes for all the ways in which you've been unnecessarily interfering and overdoing it with the intellect, mm. overanalyzing and overthinking. That's the, I would say that's the main disease of Western civilization right now is all of the extraneous thought that we're generating, which we think is necessary, that's actually what's creating this so-called mental health crisis. That's really all it is. That's a, that's a very profound take on things, actually. And, and I think, and, you know, for the listeners of the show, um, certainly I, I think uh, it's something to truly reflect upon about the way that we think and, and why we are in this situation where we seem to over overcomplicate things and and it goes actually back right to the beginning where i was talking about the conversation the first conversation we had and you said because i choose because i choose to or because i can you know and and that says a lot and you know it's it's funny how that's actually come full circle because 
that statement in itself, uh, and you mentioned this, that, you know, uh, an example where somebody said, oh, Ian, you've just said something. And and, and he said, I, I don't remember what I said, but it changed his his way of thinking. But that's so true because you can. So you can either get stressed about something, which actually doesn't equate to anything, or you can just deal with it and, and say, well, okay, it is what it is. Or actually, do you know what? I don't even need to do it. I just, why am I stressing? Leave it. Move on. What look, What's more important? It's my family. It's being happy. It's being healthy. And come what may, it's like waking up in the morning. And like you said, it could be raining. It could be snowing. There could be sleet. Um, or the sun could be shining. It's not in our control. But what is in our control is how we how we make use of the environment that we're in to still be productive for that day, right? Yeah, that's it. And it, it, what it also does, it puts you in a, a different relationship to what we call stressful feelings. They're just like when you learn homeopathy, it gives you a different relationship to symptoms, right? You know, if you haven't learned homeopathy, any symptom is just a, something going wrong, you know? It's yeah. like, <laughs> like Absolutely. my kid's got a fever. How do I make the fever go away? You know, it's seen as a bad thing. As you start to learn homeopathy and, and a holistic worldview, you start to realize, oh, it's a good thing he's got a fever. Mm. That shows a healthy immune system. That's great. Yeah. Healing's happening, you know? So you've got a different relationship to the same symptom. Well, through the three principles understanding, you start to have a different relationship to stressful feelings. So when you start to feel worried or anxious or frustrated or overwhelmed, it's no longer a signal that you need to get busy or that you need to work harder, work faster, or do more, it's a signal that you've got a busy mind. <laughs> mm. That's what it's actually yeah. telling you. That, that's the feedback loop. When, we, when we're feeling that internal stress through our physiology, it's feedback that's telling you what's going on invisibly in your own mind. And so it's helpful. It's basically a signal just to slow down, give yourself a break, take a little time out, let your mind settle. And what Sidney Banks pointed out was that when your mind settles, so again, you're open, you reconnect to universal wisdom, something will occur to you that is coming from your own wisdom and it will make sense. And you don't have to go chasing after it. It's, it, it's more you open, you become receptive and what comes to you will feel like the right thing. So your feeling sense is the guide there. You know, you know when you're feeling off base because you're feeling stressed and worried, but also you know when you think you're coming back to yourself why? Because you'll feel more relaxed. You'll feel more trusting. You'll feel more at ease. So, and we're always getting that feeling feedback. And it's it's always going in one direction or t'other. It's a dynamic system. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. It is indeed. It's not static. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really fascinating. Uh, there's so much to talk about, Ian, but I wanted to ask you about um, what's next. Are you still traveling and conducting seminars and, and as any new books on the way perhaps or what's on the horizon for uh, for Ian Watson well uh, traveling is always a feature for me so I like to travel and I like to meet people on my travels uh, for me it's not just about going to other places it's also just connecting with mm. people uh, around the world which I've always loved to do and I still do and as best I can sharing the understanding that I'm you know still learning for myself but I like to share that with people who are open and interested, because for me, it's it's like a, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, the more I, I don't lose by sharing it. <laughs> in fact, the more I share it, the more I, I deepen in my own understanding. And then I, the people who are open and, and interested 
they start to see the impact that it has in their life and then they want to share it too. So, you know, a bit like that's how homeopathy spreads, isn't it? You know, mm. somebody tries it, they get a good result and then they, they want to share it with the world. So it's a little bit like that. It's not that I'm out preaching to people. I'm not trying to convince anyone, but for me, it's just when you find something which has been so helpful to you, it's a natural thing to want to share it with other people. And, and for me, um, I, I call my work educational because I think I just prefer that now as rather than seeing myself as a therapist, I see myself more in an educational role and I love to work with groups. So for me, there's something very dynamic and alive that happens in a group setting. When you get a group together, um, people have insights based on what other people in the group are sharing. You know, very often there's a kind of group field effect that happens. I, I don't believe it's ever a coincidence. You know, the people that end up in the same room together, so to me, that's always part of the fascination as well. Yeah, I never know who's going to be there, but it's always it's always the perfect group in my mind. It's uh, it's Ian. It's really one not only wonderful, but I think it's really important what you're doing and and the message that you're the message that you're spreading um, and you're empowering people to make the right choices in life, the right decisions, and it it goes way past healing. Um, of course, there's so many things involved here. It's about lifestyle. It's about life choices. Of course, it's about health choices as well. And uh, I, I wish you great continued uh, success and, and luck in this. It's a really fascinating subject. And uh, I do certainly hope that uh, early next year, you will come back and we can just go a bit deeper into all of this. And uh, I think it's it's really uh, um, hats off to you, actually. Um, for for doing this and uh, please please continue I think it's so important you're not just changing the people's lives in those seminar rooms because when you think from a third person perspective they're obviously going to share with others and there's so many lives that can be changed and there's no need to bog yourself down with stress and 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 futile decisions perhaps and and just thinking of things which actually mean nothing yeah. Well, thank you for that. And and I would say same to you. <laughs> I think, you know, in the work that you're doing, I think we if we are each contributing in our own way, which can feel like, you know, it's a small contribution at times, but as homeopaths, we both know that small is beautiful, you know. Absolutely. Little things can have a big impact. And I think if we if we keep following that inner guidance and doing what what we feel most drawn to do and most passionate about then I think our contribution isn't is valuable. It's not wasted. And I, I in my mind, everyone has got a contribution to make. And uh, we're all in it together. Ian Watson, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I really look forward to to having you back on the Homeopathy Health Show very soon to talk more. But uh, until then, um, you know, stay safe, best of luck and uh, happy travels. My pleasure. Thank you. I do hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the Homeopathy Health Show. Please do support the show by clicking follow on my socials. Remember, the more exposure the podcast receives, the better for homeopathy around the world. You can find me on Instagram by searching for at like underscore treats like and on both Facebook and TikTok by searching for at like treats like. So let's promote the voice of homeopathy on radio and podcast around the world together. Don't forget to visit me online at www.liketreatslike.co.uk and click on the radio and podcast tab 
Here you'll be able to see all the guests that have joined me on the show so far. And of course, you can stream on demand the latest episode to your mobile, tablet or PC. Until next time, stay safe and take care.